this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Today we have another interview conversation about women in puppetry. Yeah. Sometimes scheduling... Hmm. It's just a crazy thing. It's hard to manage. And um, as I said in one of our classics, I've recently been out of town for several days for a peanut conference. Which I want my peanut butter. Oh, I have so much peanut butter. Where is this peanut butter? It's at my home. Son of a... <laughs> but also, uh, I'm about to leave for another trip because I'm going to Disney World. Again. Again. And I don't... I'm a little bitter about it in the most first world problem kind of way because the ride I wanted to ride is not even open. <laughs> but your favorite ride will be open. My favorite ride will be open. It better be. If, if it's not open, then I'm coming for you, Samantha. Why me? Because you put a curse on it. Just by saying that, that's enough. First of all, I am your number one, what is it, supporter <laughs> when it comes to this ride and you know it. That's true. You you are. You really helped facilitate me riding that ride. So I am forever grateful for that. But um, we did have someone else that we wanted to talk to you about women in puppetry. And uh, for the these episodes, I, um, I read all kinds of papers about uh, how women in some countries like um, Turkey and in South Africa are using puppets uh, to to touch on issues that they might not be able to touch on or, or that are seen as socially unacceptable when it comes to polite conversation, shall we say. Um, and as, as I was thinking about the history of, of puppets and things like um, Punch and Judy, which right. is from the 16th century, but I also remembered Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop's playing along. I totally forgot about Lamb Chop. Sherry Lewis uh, first appeared in 1956. Well, Mr. Rogers, obviously, he had his whole village. Daniel the Tiger. He did. You know, I feel like I said this in an episode before, but I didn't know anything about Mr. Rogers until college. And when I learned about him, I got, like, personally moved. Yeah, he he's one of the good ones. I I hope so. No. I think so. <laughs> He's one of the good ones. I think it's been years and years and years of just great testimony about how he's such a great man. You know, that's funny because, uh, I mean, that's not funny, but <laughs> it reminds me of um, on this peanut festival, it's not a festival a conference, uh, there was someone who had been an extra in the new Mr. Rogers movie, and he said, you can see me in the fight scene, and we were all like, there's a fight scene in the Mr. Rogers movie. <laughs> Apparently, there's a fight scene in it. Um, But then we got, uh, we were talking before this about um, Miss Piggy. Right. And um, Sesame Street. And Miss Piggy appeared in 1974. Yeah. Yeah. She was voiced by a man, right? Originally? Uh, I think, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure it's performed by a man. Let me, let me, let me, let me double check. Frank Oz, 1976, 2002. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that who that is? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's always been a man. Unless you're talking about the Muppet Babies. Which Samantha is eager to bring up the Muppet Love. Babies at every turn. Yes, and apparently there's a reboot. I didn't know this. Yes, with Jenny Slate, as you said. Yeah, I'm so oh, I'm so behind on the news. <laughs> you're so behind on the Muppet Baby news. She has nephews, yo. Oh, well. Andy and Randy Pig. That's future research to be done. I'm sorry. Um, and as we said, if you haven't heard our part one, uh, you should go check that out because we sort of asked the question about how do we define puppets because I think for a lot of us, we have a a narrow definition of what it is, but puppetry encompasses so much more than what we traditionally think of, and it can be shadows, objects, object puppetry, puppet animation. Um, So that's something to keep in mind in that it is changing. Puppetry in Canada and the U.S. at least had a resurgence in the 1950s, and then Sesame Street 
1969, the first episode. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, there have been a lot of... There have been a lot of technological advances and, and changes and um, women more entering the workforce. And that's something else I read is that for a long time, and, and not, not necessarily in um, our, our modern times, but puppetry, when women were the ones doing it, it was looked down upon <laughs> because it was a feminine art. And then when men were the ones doing it, it was seen as this really powerful thing and that we see that play out in all kinds of art forms but as our interviewees seem to have indicated um <laughs> the that is changing and more women are entering this this world of puppetry so we want to feature one of those women doing badass things in that world in this interview so let's get into it mm-hmm. i'm sarah frechette I make puppetry my life, I guess. My passion is synonymous with my work. I have multiple groups I work with now. Um, Puppet Kebab is one. Nightshade, Shadow Theater is another. The Hand in the Shadow is also another. Because nobody told me to pick one name and stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool, yeah. I I was reading your bio on Puppet Kebab, the website. Mm -hmm. Um, And you... You've done quite a bit. You've toured in internationally. Um, you went to University of Connecticut's puppetry arts program. Um, so it seems like you're a pretty good person to be speaking with about this conversation, looking at women <laughs> in puppetry. I'm both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Check off the list. Yes. Um, one thing that uh, I'm curious about is... How did you decide to go into puppetry? Um, was there like a particular moment? What kind of training did you go to? How did you get to where you are? I played with dolls till I was in high school. Mm-hmm. No joke. <laughs> I hit it really well. I made um, stories for them, costumes and clothing for them, and then got involved in the drama program in high school. Um, I also played music in the band, and I think a lot of playing the clarinet has been helpful with doing marionettes, um, most specifically, being able to isolate movement in both hands to make the two parts come together as one. Um, but in the theater, I never felt really comfortable on stage until we did a program where we got to wear masks, and then this whole other side of me came out, and I got kind of lucky that um, my advisor at school leaned over. He must have known I was just that right kind of weird and said, have you looked at all at UConn's puppetry arts program? And I just, that was it. all I wanted to do at that point. (laughs) So I was able to audition into the program with my uh, clarinet, actually, and then spent four years of undergrad studying things. You kind of leave with like a toolbox, I guess, um, a lot of knowledge of materials and history and theories and then um, at that point, I just started finding artists um, who I liked their work and called them up and said, can I come over? <laughs> so, which is how I ended up in Germany for the first time working with Albert Drozer. Um, I saw a performance of him when I was in college and I was just uh, absolutely taken and drawn to his style of performing on stage with the puppet as a partner. Um, and so I, my, my first real sort of professional workshop outside of school was going to Germany and studying with him. And that, that really launched me, <laughs> I think, um, to do this for life. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I certainly did, didn't get any of that out of playing the clarinet, but uh, <laughs> I did enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it was a fun... I, I was wondering actually recently if I got out my clarinet. One, it would be gross because it's, I haven't opened the case in years and I should yeah. like clean it out and donate it. But um, yeah, I sold my trombone a while ago. <laughs> you sold your trombone? Yeah, yes. I was a poor college student. I needed oh, money. That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about um, if you have any favorite techniques or pieces or shows, which I think is kind of a good segue from what you were just speaking about. Um, and yeah, like, what is it that you really love about puppetry? So, um, let's see. 
um, I feel like when I was at UConn, I saw this group Mabu Minds perform Peter and Wendy, and this um, uh, female actress did the all the voices. She kind of uh, was like the conductor for the whole show, and I, upon seeing that, thought, if this is what puppetry is, I'm totally in. Um, it had like a pop-up house that lit up and had some shadows and it was mostly dolls <laughs> being used to create the different characters or like a, a mop turned upside down to become Nana. It was just a little outside of, I guess, what you would see on mainstream TV where the characters are finished more from head to toe, even if they're not of this world, but they have eyes and ears and mouths. It's, you know, uh, so that was... a another artistic way to express uh, a show using puppets that I hadn't seen. Um, uh, Bruce Schwartz, who did puppets in the double life of Veronique, who used to perform, but I've never seen him on stage was another thing that um, uh, sort of captured me, just the amount of emotion he could get and, and drama. He kind of, some of his puppets would go to the dark side a little bit. He has a ballerina dancer who hurts her leg and essentially has to transform into this butterfly because you can just sort of see at that point her life is over because she can't, you know, fulfill this passion anymore. So that's someone who really caught my eye. And then Albert Roser, who I worked with in Germany, who actually innovated his own style of um, marionette controller, which is the wooden part where all the strings hang from. So instead of... Um, creating something very specific that you know how it will be strung to work. You create this character by essentially like listening to the materials and seeing um, what comes out of the wood grain as you carve it. So you could start with a idea and then you just remove it and you allow it to be. And then you string that up specifically to how this figure ends up essentially coming into its form. So the controllers are all different for every single puppet. So I like that part. I'm drawn to the physics of that, um, to the sort of real uniqueness of that. Um, even in Germany, his work is considered pretty rebellious. It's not uh, it's not a standard European-style controller at all. Um, so that, yeah, I think that's probably why I most gravitated towards him, and that was my first thing out of school that I sought to do um, was to go and study uh, with him and make this belly dancer marionette where all the strings actually uh, slide through different parts of the body all the way to the, to the base of the hips. And it's literally hips, the boobs <laughs> and the head with two rope arms swinging off from it. So it's, you have to rely on the audience and you're uh, working together to fill in the full form. So that, that's the kind of stuff that I really love um, that has, I think, most influenced um, the work that I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I I have so many things I want to ask about that, like so many different directions (laughs) to go in. But um, one thing before we came in here, um, one of our colleagues was talking about um, Sesame Street, which for a long time has been how America, that's puppets, is kind of, that's what they are. They don't do this sort of dark side thing that you were touching on. And I do think that's starting to change, but that's been how we've seen it for a long time. Um, And he was saying that he read uh, something that before there was one female puppet on Sesame Street, there were 19 male puppets. Um, And one of the reasons was that women are so automatically sexualized and that the way that people, audiences were interpreting the puppet, a puppet, uh, was that she was inappropriate and that the male body was the neutral body. Um, And that, like, when people were asked afterwards after seeing female puppets, they often said, like, to be a female puppet, you have to have, like, bright lipstick, big boobs, long hair. Um, Is there something you've seen that when you're designing a female character or a female puppet maybe not specifically you, but in, in the puppetry world, have you seen stuff like that? Is there a difference when it comes to puppet design, male and female puppets? Yeah, I wonder, too, if some of that's really um, just here in the U.S. Because in performing in Germany, they, they do more of what they call a figure theater. Like, puppetry is an art, so it's not... 
it's not as campy or they're not trying to go. I feel like there's not the same with the stereotypes mm. and the body is totally viewed differently. It's a tool. <laughs> and then here we can only be naked in our showers. Right. So, so I wonder how far that idea stretches. Um, yeah, though I see that it is, uh, it is interesting. There is still the fight to make strong female characters, um, that aren't ditzy or don't have a giant butt. <laughs> or is not a pig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we have them, I guess, but I certainly know that when I see a program where you realize it's a woman director and stuff, there is something about it that you can see yourself in that you can't when it is directed by a man. There's mm-hmm. something missing. The the care of the, sh- I don't know, the shape, Um Gosh, I'm trying to think. Hmm. So when you so you say the female character, you mean Miss Piggy? That? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like when you look at that's what I was saying, Samantha. Because when I think about the Muppets, there was only one female Whoa. gender yeah, character I, in that. I kind of like that she would karate chop. People. Right. No, she was hilarious, <laughs> and she was the boss. I love that. But I'm trying to think because uh, <laughs> if you think about like Fozzie and all of them, and then the. I think there were some gender-neutral ones that were not necessarily gendered, but I know Piggy, Miss Piggy was one, but it's typically one female character to like 20 yeah. male-perceived characters, even though they may not be human. <laughs> yeah, that's actually something yeah. that's come up a lot in um, like conversations around board games is that you're more likely to have a board game cover with animals on it than you are with women on it. Um uh-huh. They play. They do play a lot of supportive roles. I guess like Miss Piggy, even though she's pretty badass, she's not the main right. <laughs> character. It's Kermit, Kermit right? Is the Kermit's green the main dude. Is. Yeah. Before though, like before the Muppet Show, Jim Henson would do these late night programs where he was always like shooting puppets out of a cannon. And I, well, I mean, I guess he did that a little bit then. But I feel like there was some. Um, Definitely more dark slapstick humor than yeah. the first stuff he did, and I wish, I wish that would continue. Oh. Now I feel like they rely more on the conversations the characters are having, which can get a bit vapid. Versus just, yeah, I don't know. They used to be so much more in love. All of them, I felt mm-hmm. like they had a real family knit. You know, Fozzie Bear. They all, all right. supported each other in a very different way in the past than they do now. But I'm really trying to rack my brain for female for puppet things in the US mainstream that have female leads. I know there's one young female one in Sesame Street who just they developed her as having a family member who was addicted to opiates. Oh. Yeah. So, and that's a female character, young girl young right young it's not a girl young but it's yeah ish. feminine coded. yeah yeah um i'm trying to remember but yeah i do love the old school antics of who was that who are the two bantering men in the uh audience up in the balcony also waldorf and statler so yeah <laughs> yes. so great loved that we have some more of our interview but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into the interview. So you were also a creator when you, you create puppets and you create different um, art as for the specific types of genres. Do you think about uh, gender specifics or what, what is your motivations? Is it just based on the play or the idea or do you base a play on idea on your creations? I guess at this point I have a repertoire enough that I can start to see um, some similarities or like through lines that I do, um, which has taken me a while. So I have a personal element I really put into every show, whether I draw in certain stories or information about my actual family and incorporate it into what I'm creating or experiences that I've had, good or bad. And I put those sort of feelings into the the piece. Um, I guess in thinking of, strong 
puppet characters, I feel like uh, at least in performing, I'm a strong female puppeteer. And I certainly know that there are other female puppeteers that are standing doing a lot of solo pieces or sometimes with a live band, there's, you know, experiences they're trying to create in the theater. But the nice thing is um, when audiences come that we are, we are what they first engage with. Um, and then the puppet show sort of pours out of us. So I have uh, the story of the snowflake man and it, it can't be helped that the main character is Wilson Bentley, the guy who took the first photographs of snowflakes, but I shrink myself down into marionette form to go and meet him. <laughs> so I, I totally play a part in the whole story and it's uh, on a pop-up book stage, but I really wanted to, um, I'm a uh, proud Vermonter and it's a, a story of a Vermont um, farmer who took these photographs. Um, so I just try to focus more on that of the good characteristics or being devoted to your passion or, you know, making also your hobby, your life, even though that may not be the main um, source of income, just finding pride in what you do, um, which I think works for any gender and then wanted to show that my pride for my Vermont heritage. I use photographs that my grandpa had purchased from Snowflake Bentley when he was a young boy. So it's sort of like a love letter to my grandfather because he had passed away and was um, the only grandparent I had left as I graduated college and was the most like, you want to pack your bags and go to Germany? Go ahead. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> The most encouraging person I had in that moment where, you know, my parents maybe thought I was a bit more nut, um, but they're, they've also never told me that I couldn't do these things. I've only been sort of uh, shown that if you feel that's the direction you want to go and go, but you got to work for it. Like, you know, and so that I haven't ever really stopped trying to pursue this as a career. And then some other shows I'm doing a new one called Dirty Gertz, which is based on uh, something my mom said when she was little about her neighbor. She said she thinks she's Queen Elizabeth, but she's Dirty Gertz to me. So it's about middle school growing pain. So I'm trying to highlight a bit more in this new show. These two um, middle school uh, girls who just can't seem to get along. They're very judgmental of each other and then trying to find sort of a moment where they have to feel some form of empathy for each other. And even in the end, that doesn't work out. They decide, you know, we're still not super friends, but at least they know that their way of, you know, or my mom's character's way of fitting in is to not actually fit in at all. So this work she does <laughs> in school, sewing her own clothes, trying to look like characters from the Vogue magazine just mm. isn't her. Um, so that is Dirty Gertz trying to, Trying to express, yeah, I guess some other, some other ways. Right. <laughs> no, it's awesome. So I love that. So just looking at your website and going through your things, Dirty Gertz and the Snowflake Man are very different types of sets and different types of puppets. What? How do you decide what you will do and how you will do it? Because it looks like um, it pretty much all of the Dirty Gertz is paper. Is that correct? Am I saying that too simply? Um, or somehow yeah. like uh, drawings and animation. I don't know, not really animations, but the artwork is amazing. But then when I looked at the snowflake one, you had a, a, a like very lively set uh, that's actual puppet, correct? Maybe I'm just looking at this wrong. But how do you decide how you're going to present an idea based on whether it's actual okay. that small set? Did, does this make sense? <laughs> question. No, uh, nobody ever told me when I left school that I should pick a form and become an expert at it. <laughs> so I come to learn that it's not common, but there are some um, puppeteers that do it where every time I make a new show, I have a new idea, sort of you just sit with it long enough that you realize you can't shake it, like you have to, or, you know, you're just going to burst. So, um, so I settle on this um, idea and typically all of my stuff is not common. I didn't know Snowflake Bentley would actually do as well as it has. He's now part of like common core standards where, so I go to every state, even like New Orleans where they've never seen snow and the kids know Snowflake Bentley, which is kind of amazing. So my timing couldn't have been better with that, but the rest of my stuff is, is really just um, made up and sometimes um, time uh, makes the difference. Um, 
Another piece I have, I guess the first one I did outside of college, uh, is a shadow show where there's a picture window and then there's a grandmother and little girl um, and the granddaughter wants to hear stories about the fabrics in the quilt she's sleeping under. So she's like, I don't want to hear a story make believe. Enough with the princesses already. Like, I want to hear a true story. And so that's based on me cramming myself upwards into the eighth grade into my grandmother's chair and just like, tell me a story, can we say? And so that um, is me being able to express that moment. And um, then when the grandmother tells the stories, the curtain comes down or the, you know, uh, over the window and then shadows are projected. So we go to backwards to her great, great grandmother who was on the underground railroad. And then there's a story of an Irish uh, memory quilt, which is, more of my family's component. And then the last piece is a one-room schoolhouse where the grandmother talks about going to school the first time in a, a rag coat. And the process of putting those together was a lot of late night, not sleeping, lying in bed, relying on ideas to pop in, and then forcing myself to turn the lamp on and write it all out. It was just like just diving in completely thinking this has to be done. This is a, like a make or break moment. I had already um, essentially booked the show. I work really well with that pressure. <laughs> I don't I don't spend all the time. A lot of people do the workshop for weeks and make sure they're ready to present. I just go for it. And so, yeah, just becoming absolutely um, only allowing my mind, no matter what I'm doing, to think about that show and had allowed for the story to come together and then the allowing for continuing to develop it once it got made, having someone lean in and say, oh, have you read this article before? Or have you ever thought if you said this in this moment would tie these other two things together? And then you sort of grab at these different ideas and, and, and mix them around. So the piece has grown over the last, dare I say, how many years? 15 years? <laughs> And now the um, DIY makers movement makes it cool. So when I first made the show, it was like, my grandma quilt. And now you have every age coming up to you and it's like, I'm part of a quilting club. This is what I do. I, I, it's definitely time has been um, awesome for this piece. And the advancement of the flashlights, it's a flashlight technique where everything moves really cinematically, which has been um, really a nice thing to explore with. And that, has then led to this whole other nightshade shadow theater group I'm part of where we do far more adult horror style stuff, more PG-13, but taking these flashlights and making everything flow around more like a film is also a newer technique in shadow puppetry. So it's taking like a traditional flat form and um, being able to modernize it and make perspectives. You can like have multiple layers and when you move the flashlight it kind of almost looks like a cartoon where each layer moves at a different speed and they all blend into each other in this really great way so you can get depth you can have change character perspective like have one head large and the other character small and flip it around so you can almost like a camera turn the room around which has been it's a great technique for telling stories that show was sort of like the first silhouette cutouts was a lot of just like quick sketching, cutting things out. I definitely, I think, spend more time now to research inspiration for the style of the cutout because I re ended up recutting that entire show by recutting, recutting all the shadow puppets, all the paper figures based on gaining knowledge, which I didn't really feel I had until later in life of how to look at other forms of art and find inspiration from them, be it, you know, dataism or expressionism or just nature. <laughs> so I think, I know that, that definitely has had the most influence and I um, would love to think other puppeteers getting started are, are pulling from these other places because it's one thing to sort of just look around and see what's happening in puppetry. It's another thing to look around and see what's not happening and try to do that. That's sort of where I come in. Does that answer that question? Yeah, no, that's not. So it sounds like just like a, you get ideas and then you start thinking about creative ways to make those ideas come to life, whether it's through, as you were talking about the light work or uh, the different forms of artwork, which is amazing and which is a fascinating process because I can't imagine 
how many different types of ways, especially with technology and the new things happening, how many different forms are trying to be new or trying to go back to old school. How do you how does puppetry keep up with technology today? Is it a good thing, a bad thing, or yeah, of course it happens. Yeah, uh, let's see how technology has advanced the form. I I mean, there's a a lot more people probably using technology more to their advantage. I'm still like, I'm going to make this out of wood and I'm going to make my own joint. So there's a lot of things I do that are still pretty, I guess you could call them traditional in form because I, I like creating every component. But one thing that I guess has been pretty influential to me and I, I do think for other puppeteers is the stop motion industry, um, which is like the, in working in that, doing some different commercials or I made some costumes on Paranorman, you're, you're sort of brought in and it's like, oh, you make puppets, cool. Well, we're stop motion. <laughs> so, and it is, it's a whole other way of building because you're making something that doesn't move until you want it to. And we, on the other hand, are making something that moves until you have to find a way to use the controller or the rods or the light to make it stop. So, um, it's a totally different other way of thinking, but they also have different techniques, different materials. So as you get in there, they're like, we sew elements of the costume, but we also have this amazing glue that you put a little heat to it and it adheres things. And then it's that for, you know, the run of the project. And so it's like, wow, <laughs> why, why am I going to the fabric store and settling on what I see? Like the really opened me up to the fact that it's like, you can dye the colors you want. You can take the trims and add them to multiple other um, decorations and then actually create a new, unique something without having to just settle on what you're finding in the store, like at face sort of value. Like, so that to me is great because they are inventing every time they do a new movie all the colors, like all of the designs, all of the stitching techniques. So it's really up my game. <laughs> so, um, and then they're also doing things like 3D printing. And so now I know there are puppeteers who are doing that. And I guess um, the only ways uh, to really use that is we've done, by we, my partner in Art and Love, Jason, we've created, like, we created a music video for Japan there. And at that point, we have these puppets that are sort of to scale and we're building sets and then you're like wouldn't it be nice if this bathroom had a soap dispenser 3d printer (laughs) kind of kind of fun what you can do but i for the most part in the work that i do is puppet kebab unless i find something that's an antique doll something i really don't i really don't throw it in i really make it using much more out-of-date, perhaps, techniques. <laughs> um, but I, there are people like, um, the only example I can think of right now is um, Hobie Ford has this piece on migration um, where this young girl comes to the U.S. from Mexico and having the monarchs migrate sort of gives her great comfort in this big transition, but he is performing this puppet sort of partially attached to his knees. So she walks by him moving his knees through this netted circle, and then he has a projector overlay on it. So it's kind of one of the best uses of that element of technology, this sort of video stuff, to make a much more dynamic and lively show as a solo (laughs) performer, because you can't. You can't always do all the parts or you have to choose two or have one hang and maybe the third character's looking off in the distance. Uh, so I I think what's coming about is cool because puppetry has continued to progress over thousands and thousands of years at this point. So I don't believe it's a dying art form. I don't really feel it ever went away. I think people rely a lot on how much it's in the mainstream or on TV or on these streaming channels to prove that it's alive, but there's so many more of us doing stuff outside of that platform that it hasn't gone anywhere. And I don't think it's at its peak. I think it's really just starting to be discovered, the possibilities. So even though I haven't really, really jumped in to some of these new 3D, 4D, 7D effects, that um, doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not supportive of others who are because why not why not try it all sort of this puppetry is this umbrella word for just like being able to make a figure and find a soul for it and once that soul is able to you know 
come to the stage and the audience is believing it's alive and moving and they're interacting. It's almost sort of like the point in the middle where sort of the audience's eyes and the figure like <laughs> connect wherever they the segue, <laughs> whatever right. that middle thing is. It's just like when you believe it, then that's that's it. That's that's a puppet. Right. That's, yeah, I will say. Um, I know nothing about this. Annie was the one that was like, hey, I want to do women in puppetry. And I was like, cool, cool. (laughs) And the more I get to hear about it, it's really fascinating. It's so broad and wide-ranging and and so much talent and obviously patience in trying to create. Like, I am fascinated by people who can do art, and this is one of the most intense level of artistry that I think I've ever seen. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a novice, but, like, the details, just going through your photos or going through our own uh, Center for Puppetry Arts and see what they're doing is phenomenal. Um, How long does it usually take you to create a puppet or a figure? How, How long does it usually take to get that done or completed? Yeah, that's the Snowflake Man was uh, an entire year for wow. sure. Plus, then other things like um, I have these larger marionettes. Uh, most of them uh, made during studies in Germany and Albert Gozer's studio with with him and his um, partner Ingrid Hufa. So we would be there for like six weeks. By we, there was a handful of us <laughs> Americans. The bold Americans are like, "Hey, Roser." We want to study with you further. Can we just come to your workshop? Cool. Okay, we'll be there in July, and we're going to spend six weeks, or we're going to spend two months, but at, at least a month for those. It just there's just no way. It just takes the time, or as you say, the patience, which often I don't feel I have, but <laughs> someone will always lean over and like wait for it, Sarah. <laughs> but the, those larger marionette figures, you're you're carving the heads and you're carving the hands. He once, um, Roser once said to us when we arrived, you know, your goal is to make a head and shoulder marionette, which is this um, type of marionette uh, he created that has this controller that starts with sort of this 45 degree angle where there's a piece that's loose, like a trigger you pull and it makes the shoulders go back and the head go forward. And um, just depending on what you make depends on what sort of mood or story it expresses so gonna have two days you're gonna make this head and shoulder puppet and we didn't sleep literally for 48 hours all of us you're just carving a head and hands and you're trying to make it work and so he comes in he just disappears for that time and he comes in and we're standing there with these pieces and we're like we failed we failed we didn't finish we have heads we have hands we don't we have painted them and he goes yeah yeah sometimes it takes me a whole year to make a puppet and the, the truth actually is in seeing him compared to some of their artists, he would spend eight years or 20 years. He would just take the time needed to make the puppet that expressed what he wanted to put on stage. It was not that I have to have a show. I have to have, you know, I have this tour and all these things set up. He had this piece that was like Gustav Unsein Ensemble where he could add a, a vignette and he could remove it. So he would just, spent his time trying to create whatever new innovation he wanted and allowed it to take <laughs> however long. And I, I don't have patience for that. <laughs> I, I sure know that I like, uh, I guess I do both. So I have these marionettes that I've finally put into sort of a vignette program. And I went just to Germany last month and um, performed it along with uh, Ingrid, who's 82. So I got to be on stage with uh, Ingrid performing two masks, which is the first time she's really been able to get up and have a piece of her own. She was always assisting Rosa with his shows, which was uh, very important and fulfilling for her for this long time. And then since he passed, She's been able to find her own footing on stage, and what she does is beautiful. It's like she's taken everything she's absorbed and and can get up there and can have you feeling these emotions yeah. <laughs> by just her movement and the way the mask moves into the light. The lighting is very important to make the expression on the face change shape. Mm. And then um, performed with Robin Walsh, another um, puppeteer from uh, Los Angeles, who came. So it was sort of like our homage, I guess, to Roser, just mm-hmm. just sort of pay tribute. But at the same time, I feel um, this last month was really um, about Ingrid. <laughs> like, it just, 
it just really is proof that you should never stop. It's just, I guess I'll retire when I die because at 82, she's popping up on the stage, putting this mask on. You don't, you don't even know where she goes. This whole other being pours out. I'm like, there's, I have no excuse not to continue doing this. Like, this is, that's the, that's it. That's it. So beautiful. I just love it. That's amazing. So it sounds like you guys have, or you have found a really close knit community. Um, is that something that has been welcoming in this community? Let's say I wanted to, not that I would, because I'm not as cool <laughs> and creative. <laughs> you could that's, be. Not, that's not a dig on myself. I'm just, I'm not. But um, like, just are you, is it really an opening environment to have, bring new people in? Is it to grow, to push? Like, do you have, because the people we met uh, last week, mm-hmm. um, they were coming in from Quebec to meet up mm-hmm. with the Atlanta crew, and I thought that was really fun. They were about to go back to, where were they going? To L.A. at one point? Oh, I felt like they were going to Europe. Europe? Yeah, maybe yeah. so. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but is that is that a basis for the whole puppetry community, or is that just me living in an idyllic fa- like fantasy of like, yeah, they all hang out, talk, uh, and do some art? <laughs> Well, I actually um, feel that you're in a great place in Atlanta because anytime um, I've come through Atlanta for even a little bit, I feel like the puppeteers pop out of everywhere and are like, hey, you have a show? We're going to let everybody know. And you're like, <laughs> yes, thank you. It's just They're just so active. Mm-hmm. And then in, in different places, it can feel different. I I feel like there are certain places I love to go, like New Orleans, this woman, Pandora, runs this giant puppet festival. So she's just, she runs the whole thing. She's just a force. And at the same time is creating and producing a new show to be in it. And going there feels so familiar, like going home. We sort of have, or I've found these sort of, yeah, they're off the beaten path festivals that I love going to. And then we have like our national sort of Puppeteers of America festival. And um, I think a lot of work is done to be inclusive. But at the same time, I don't know that everybody who's doing puppetry around the U.S. knows um, about that group. Yeah, Portland. Okay. I'm a little. I'm going to come back. I'm going to find one answer. <laughs> yeah, because the answer is yes and no. That's a hard <laughs> Right. That's probably with all communities, with any kind of basis. But yeah, it just sounded like you found a good footing um, and just good people to yeah. connect with, which is awesome. I found a perfect, uh, perfect blend of weirdos. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. yes. I find that there are places I go that are absolutely. Um, inclusive. Atlanta is one of the more awesome places. And then there are other places where I guess the level of commitment that one has to do to sort of be part of the club or the group, I can't do because I do these tours where I'm, I just don't sit still very well. <laughs> so I, I tend to, to make myself a family with whoever will let me show up, spend a little bit of time, you know, use their shampoo and leave. <laughs> Awesome. In my head, I'm like, yeah, I could, I could see where some places is going to be a little more involved than others and, and just finding your group. It doesn't matter what it is. There's going to be great places and okay places. <laughs> we'll leave mm-hmm. it um, And for you, and just to kind of yeah. throw it out there, as a female coming into this profession, creating your own shows and um, being a part, you were, you've been a part of a few really big, projects it looks like um have you felt like there's any uh, backlash or any issues that you've had to deal with or overcome as a female in this industry yes yes one of the first uh, jobs i got touring was with a, a family of male performers where one of them tried to make me his <laughs> his his object essentially so oh. i had to leave and it really it really puts a, a strain on feeling comfortable jumping into any scene. There's always a little bit of a guard up, but uh, I think also by being at times a solo performer, there's a lot to be gained confidence-wise from that. It's like you have to show up and be prepared to make every component, at least that's how puppetry rolls. You do your own sound, you do your own light, you do your own staging, you do your own story. There's you know, and, and then you can um, oftentimes find these great other artists who are passionate of what the technique or the running the theater or 
Roxy Myram and the Puppet Show Place Theater is just such a great, um, strong female in that role. I also think because she played rugby, it gives her an extra edge. Um, <laughs> but she, you know, you, you show up and it's just like, you know, you have these spaces you go where um, you're made to feel like you, of course you can do any of these things. Do you need support or not? Like, do you want someone to come in and help with these things or do you, should we get out of the way? That's kind of, kind of the, yeah, finding, finding that strength and, and taking control of what you need to and, you know, otherwise, you, you know, you show up to a new space and you sort of, <laughs> sort of wait, what is this going to be? How, you know, how, how friendly, I guess, can I be? Because right. like, that's, that's the last thing I want to do is think I'm, uh, right. you know, to be told that I asked for something that I certainly didn't feel I was, was even, was even there to do. It's right. not, was not there for you. I was there to learn this art form, but it's uh yeah, it's it's definitely interesting too as a female performing marionettes. There's certainly it's a much more male dominated mm. form here in the US, but then it's uh sort of a mixture. There's a really at least great core group that go to some of these more national festivals and they're just like will sort of yeah, talk to you just on the level, like without looking at you like you're lesser than, but there's, there's sort of, you look around, you're like, I want female. And it's a whole group of male marionette puppeteers. I felt like, wait a minute, where are the rest of us? So, you know. Have you seen a change in that since you've been in? You said you've been in here in this industry about 15 years. Have you seen a change or a progression of that? I guess I feel there's a, still a pretty good blend with most forms of Running into what would be male and female puppeteers, but I, I don't, I don't know. I think I, as I sit here, I could name far more groups that are mixed or men versus female. But that doesn't mean I don't know every group either. That's so, and there's no platform where everybody is sort of existing, um, sort of chiming in. Hey, I'm out here. If you ever roll through this random town, you know my garage is full of things I make. Um, so you. You don't don't know everybody who's out there, <laughs> but I at least for me I have this great um, uh, my best friend in college. There was six of us who graduated from UConn the year I graduated, and my best friend Kaylee Clemens and I are the two who are most like puppetry is what we do twenty four seven, and we're not making a puppet. We always joke that we're making a puppet because that's what we do. So for me, I have I have a few strong, um, inspirational um, women around. Another best friend, Carol D'Agostino, who is the shop manager at the Center for Puppetry Arts. And I almost feel like that's probably all I need <laughs> are these few. You know, like, that's fair. I, don't, I don't, you know, it doesn't so much matter that I look around and don't see an even spread. Uh, I just, I've got these and that's, that's it. That's the fuel to keep me going. That's the... That's when I, you know, there's an issue. I call and talk to them, and they're just like, "Ah, who needs that? Get up and keep going. You go, you know, go do this other awesome thing, and you're going to show them, and then they're going to, you know, wish they'd been more respectful." And you're like, "That's right. <laughs> do my art. I'm going to show them that I'm unstoppable." <laughs> so you got your squad, and that's good. You're good with that squad. <laughs> <laughs> We have a little bit more of our conversation here, but first we have one more group break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into it. One thing we talked about in our the other interview we did is... Um, how throughout history, the history of puppetry, puppets have been a tool that was used to criticize people in power when maybe doing so in person was dangerous. Um, and then now, these days, puppets are also used for therapy and therapy with children or people who have gone through trauma. Um, is that something that you've seen, like the power of puppetry outside of making powerful art? Um, just other ways that maybe people don't realize uh, puppetry is used or also just 
what what is it that you about it that you think makes it this powerful tool? Yes, it's that's a very good question. Sometimes I think on that, and I wonder if because a puppet, it, like as human adults, we're giants. And so when you're doing some art therapy, specifically with kids, we're we're like monster size, and then you have this small puppet, and it's amazing what they will turn and and say that they feel comfortable, like they have to help or protect or they are instantly engaging with this very small object that may be on their scale or even smaller than them. And it's amazing what can come out that I think oftentimes an adult can't get. Giant adult. Um, I guess the one uh, example I have, and it's not, I wasn't there, but it, my puppet was. I <laughs> gave some puppets to my friend, um, Bruce Lee, actually a bagpiper, not a martial artist, but he <laughs> did some art therapy and art teaching studies and then um, got into a few schools in Vermont. And I, you know, said I have these puppets I kind of made um, that I'm not going to put in any shows. Would you like them for your classroom? So he had a student um, who hadn't uh, spoken yet and he was doing some art therapy and he pulled this puppet out and the kid apparently started talking to the puppet. They really weren't sure 100% what was happening, but no one had heard him speak. <laughs> so oh. it, you know, has this ability to open up things or the just being in Germany too and talking about, because this is kind of a new thing here, but they have their, um, what they kind of translates to psychodrama, which is theater, to, is like that, like art therapy. So this um, woman, Eliza, who I met, talked about before there were certain meds to help with schizophrenia or people who were catatonic and stuff after the war, she had a puppet that would come up to someone who was frozen, who hadn't moved or spoken. And she, the puppet would sort of say, you know, why are we laying here? The sun is out. Let's go outside. Why are we laying here? The sun is out. Let's go outside. And she said she would persist as the little puppet would tap on them and they would just turn and bash the puppet away or, you know, say, cause I don't want to, you know, whatever. And hearing her stories, it's like this, um, you know, amazing tool for getting things to come out that otherwise, I don't know. They just, maybe you just don't want to tell a stranger, but the puppet's not <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, however that works. Um, it's a, yeah, I think it's so great that that's happening here more so now mm-hmm. that I, I just, um, well, I guess I do have one slightly more personal story. And you can choose your one out of three or all three. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, so let's see. The, some, like, the summer after I graduated UConn, I went to Galesburg, Illinois for this um, sort of like, what was it? Like an artist residency and met this woman, Lisa, who was working in a um, facility for title for disabled adults and they also had a sort of a kids um, summer camp happening so she asked if I would bring my puppet show in I had created this um, small shadow show and would make puppets with the participants but it was all very quiet where the nurses and she were so involved but not everybody in this institution thought that art was the best um, way or the best means to help. Uh, so I walk into this really amazing uh, office that's got some, you know, generic, we bought it at the store pictures, but at least there's color and there's, you know, something in visually engaged and then into a hallway that goes just neutral, just cream colored walls all the way down, looking in different rooms of adults sort of gathered in wheelchairs or in chairs with nothing on the wall. Just room after room. It used to be like an an airplane making, just room after room after room after room and just feeling the weight of like, is this really, is this what you feel is the best way to I, oh my word. And so I get into this room, which is already full of adults because the time I was going to set up, they thought was showtime. So they are the happiest group. They watched me set up my whole stage, watch the program. I mean, we had such an amazing time together. And then I bought into the next room where I have things um, for them to make mostly um, 
textural stuff. So as they come you um, to the table, there were so many different things happening, so many different, I guess you'd say, special abilities. So some would just sort of start grabbing, you know, feathers, pom-poms, soft, 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 silver up the form, put it on, and they head off all, like, super happy, like, interacting, ready, performing. And then some um, didn't have use of hands, but you couldn't put the object or the, you know, craft component near them and see a spark when you got you chose correctly. <laughs> and so then that would sort of get glued on and they, you know, would sort of then be rolled out the door like, yeah, <laughs> it's just was like, there's so much happening here right now. How How is it I'm in this room having to be very, this is very quiet. Like, no, you know, the main people who run this institution aren't supposed to know I'm here right now, but Lisa's gone rogue. And it's like, I can only see benefit. And then I go to do this um, summer camp program with these kids where we were going to decorate masks. And they were happy just putting eye holes and a string and running around with a paper plate. <laughs> that sounds about like my talent. Awesome words, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. oh, you don't, you don't need more. You <laughs> totally transform so quickly, and then they're running around having the best time. And then I went home and cried. <laughs> I was Aww. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I watched that. You know, what's the? It's a movie with um, Fred Savage, like plays the kid who's wheeled around, and he's in the institution, and it's not going well. I'm like, oh my god, that that's got to be based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, oh, there's like such a joy to be able to know that you had that, you had that moment together. This is like, this is the moment you created with this whole group of people that otherwise, you know, like. I wouldn't have had it, and maybe they would have had it with somebody else, but it got to be me. <laughs> and then at the same time, I'm like, so many dead-looking rooms with no vibrancy, no color, you know? Like, you know, the 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 most cool thing to look at was your neighbor. Come on! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so good. So good. So... Oh, that was such a great answer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> is there, do you have any advice for people who might be listening, who might be interested in getting into puppetry? Do it. <laughs> Best advice. Just do, do it. it. Yes. Mackie got there first, but. <laughs> yeah. I just, at this point, I just, there's so many forms. So if there's, uh, I, you know, it's hard to believe that someone um, who is sort of an adult who's wanting to get into it hasn't had some form of interaction. So it's like question then, you know, what is it? Is it a form of theater you haven't tried? Is it a form of art that you want to try because you paint and you sculpt and you realize all the components could come together? Is it because you participated in something when you were young and always loved it? I just think that's those are all the great reasons to start or just because you want to know what what makes a puppeteer, you know, love this form. What what makes, yeah, well, how, why? <laughs> why are you playing with dolls while well, you are a grown-up? Then buy it. There's um, <laughs> theaters everywhere. You know, the Center for Puppetry Arts, the Puppet Show Place Theater in Boston, the Great Arizona Puppet Theater, the Northwest um, Puppet Center in Seattle. There's There are places that is your rolling around that you can call and and go to. And these people are absolutely passionate and have examples to show. They have collections. They have a variety of stuff. If there's an artist whose work you see, uh, call them, you know? Yeah. I like, I like the show you, you did where you, you know, you know, whatever, Bonnie Duncan, squirrel stole my underpants. I love this show where you dance around with a squirrel because you took your underpants and you're like, can I come over? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. Like, I don't, I've never said no to anyone who's called and is like, I kind of have this puppetry idea. I have no idea if it's going to work. Can I come hang out? And I'm like, I will have the hot water and tea ready. Because that's, I mean, that's, I guess, what you talk about community. That's, um, Right. If someone shows an interest, I absolutely feel it's worth trying. There's so many books 
there's uh, so many platforms, I guess, if you want to go online and chat that way. I personally like to find people. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're big fans of like mentorship here. So, right. so when, I'm get, uh-huh. when I'm ready, I'm going to fly to Portland and come see you. Samantha's yeah. trying to get a puppet made of herself so she can get out of work. Awesome. I'm trying to get someone to help me make a puppet of myself so I can pretend that I'm at work. And it will fool Excellent. me completely. Hey, that, that is absolutely doable. <laughs> now you just have to pick which form you want to be in. I know, right? <laughs> uh, it's a whole so many decisions. Opinion. So many decisions. That's right. Is there, <laughs> is there anything in the future that you're looking forward to, either personally or for puppetry in general? Yeah, um, well, I guess personally I'll start. I'm part of this project called The Spooky Girls, um, which I guess talking about female lead characters, it's about these young teenage witches and um, working to make it into a film. Again, for me, it's also something new that there would be an end product that could travel around the world to places that even I couldn't get to as quickly. Um, but the, it's a group where there's four, four teen um, girls who come to know each other in very different ways. Um, and so they are in a sense, all the main characters. Um, and then there's sort of, what's the short story? There's, yeah, they're sort of toying, toying, I should say, with rich witchcraft. Um, and and through that, some things sort of turn upside down for them that then there are, what's the word? You're not, they're not erasable, so they have yeah. to then live their normal teenage lives with all these crazy things happening. Um, but being able to work, well, I work with two other other fellows actually on this more closely than Jason Thibodeau and Gabriel Temme and the puppet is a, like a hybrid of puppetry and animation um, techniques together so that is uh, that is exciting but it's been nice to sort of be the female force for when they're like hey we have this idea I'm like the girl and say it that way so you can't <laughs> you, can't, you, have to, you have to listen to me give you all the input or else this is not happening right so, um, but I'm excited um, for that. It's something totally new for me uh, because I definitely spend more time on the stage. Um, And then for the future of puppetry, gosh, I love that so many other people at this point will just say, hey, I'm a puppeteer. And then you get to find out to what level or degree or what percent of time, I guess. I don't know. I'm fascinated with those things where it's like, is this your everything? Is this your after school thing? Is this your evening thing? You know, but there'll be like resumes or little business cards of people who are like entrepreneur, actor, puppeteer, sculptor. <laughs> and you're like, I need to know about all of these, but most specifically, let's start with puppetry. <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, there's more, um, I guess, feeling uh, much more confident and bold about saying it. And then, through that, I think more opportunities are going to get created. That is exciting. Yeah, go puppets, go. go <laughs> yes. Puppets, go. I love that. Um, where, well, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and having yes. this conversation with us. Where can thank listeners find you? you? Oh, absolutely. Let's see, puppetkebab.com. Um, let's see, on Instagram is puppet underscore kebab or as the hand and the shadow, which is a mixture of the adult shadow work and the spooky girl stuff. I guess those are the main, the main ways. I travel around, so if any any listener has a theater in your town that you know is starting to get into puppets, you just send that information my way because I I love going to places that are unsure, and then. You know, I mean, I like going to places them. that know they like puppet stuff, but I especially love going to places where they're like, oh, I guess we'll try it. Will we get an audience? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you will. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, send that information her way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, give me the skeptics. <laughs> yes. All skeptics. <laughs> get the, yeah, one of the more radical. <laughs> Female puppeteers in their face. <laughs> Don't you want to do this forever now? Once a month series. Let's go. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, I love the title of this podcast too. <laughs> mom never told you. Yeah, my mom never told me about that's puppets. Great. That's for sure. I don't think my mom knows about yeah, puppets. Yeah, hey. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, my mom didn't tell me no to puppets. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect. There you go. She probably knew I wouldn't listen anyway. <laughs> so. And that brings us to the end of our second interview in Women in Puppetry. Uh, if any of you want or are doing puppetry shows or working in puppetry, or if you're interested, like Sarah offered, and you know she she sounded pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely reach out to her and Some, def- Yeah, someone wants to make a puppet of me. Oh and yeah, Annie, Annie, and I. Samantha would not turn that down either. Throwing the gauntlet down. <laughs> I'm trying to be as lazy as possible here. You can help Samantha live her best life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely uh, feel free to reach out to us if if you are doing cool work in puppetry, or if you would if you're looking for the contact info for Sarah or any any of our other interviewees. You can do that via email. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 